0: The Sunday Review with Tim Graham. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of The Sunday Review. We'll be hearing from UK rapper Mark Jones who's released a new track to encourage young people to open up about their mental health. Sophie Mangan from Carers Support West Sussex will be telling us more about what they do. And Graham Jones is here to reveal some big news about the East Grinstead Community Bonfire. Norman Wong finds out how postponing, fixing, servicing or checking our household appliances could be costing us more money in the long run. Paul Tolmey talks to Amy Batchelor from Millview Care Home about an upcoming stroke awareness event and Ian Clarkson from local band The Jive Aces talks to Norman Wong about their style of music and influences. All coming up in this edition. More than a fifth of young adults in the UK are always anxious. That's according to a new study carried out by Direct Line Insurance and mental health charity Mind. However, when they need a mental lift, almost two-thirds turn to music to improve their mood. And for a quarter of this generation, doing so makes them feel less lonely. To tell us more, I'm joined by Alex Bushel from Mind and UK rapper Mark Jones. Welcome to the show both of you. Now Alex if I can start with you, these statistics seem quite concerning. Why do you think young people are struggling with their mental health so much?
1: They are concerning, you're absolutely right. Uh, The thing that really sticks out for me actually is that of the 2018 to 24 year olds we spoke to, 70% feel lonely even when they're around their friends, classmates or, or indeed work colleagues and often we can fall into this trap of thinking that if you've got your friends around you you are seemingly having a good time that you're in a good place but actually it's not always the way and people can be experiencing profound sadness depression or isolation even when you know in outward appearances everything's going okay and I think that's where this this, where the music um, comes in and why it's such a powerful space. You mentioned there that 25% of the people we spoke to said music makes them feel less lonely. Um, well, even when you're surrounded by your friends, perhaps it's the music that's giving you that that avenue, that that way of connecting with others in a more profound way, talking about your mental health, whether it's writing a lyric, writing a song or sharing a song that's particularly spoken to you on a social media platform. It seems to me that what this research is telling us is that music is a really powerful way of helping us have more mental health conversations, recognizing in ourselves our own place our own state of well-being and also helping us to connect with others to try and find
0: support. Now Mark you've created a new track day by day which encourages young people to look after and be open about their mental health. Can you tell us a bit more about your own personal experience with mental health and what inspired you to create the track?
2: Yeah I think over uh, the last couple of years you know experiencing the pandemic for me it was one of the first times that I started to have a few issues with my mental health and just that feeling of, firstly, anxiety for the future, but just not knowing what was going to happen. And I remember a day where I just said to my wife, you know, I'm just not feeling how I usually would. And that opened up a conversation with her. So I was able to sort of write how I was feeling and produce a a mixtape called Glass Half Empty, which is just chronicles my journey over the last three years and um, how I felt and how, how, how that looked. Um, But with Day by Day, yeah, I think for me, the track is just a call to start a conversation and it's really important that we talk about these issues in music because I feel like as an artist, you have an audience who's willing to hear what you say. Um, So it's really important for me to use my talent in order to bring some real spotlight to the issue.
0: Now, in the survey, it suggests that the likes of Billie Eilish, Louis Capaldi and Ed Sheeran are particularly influential in this regard. Why do you think it is that artists like that and musicians in general can help destigmatize conversations around mental health?
2: I think music is a space where you can be vulnerable. And I feel like the, the artists on there that you mentioned, you know, they're really able to show their true selves, whether that's in social media or in their music. And then the main thing is that people are able to relate to it. So people are able to say, okay, if Ed Sheeran's able to talk about this or Lewis Capaldi or Billie Eilish, then I can have that conversation with people and I can know that I'm not alone and that although these people are very famous figures, we're all human and we all go through the human experience. So yeah, I think it's very interesting that has been pulled out of the research. And it makes sense to me that, you know, as an artist, you use your platform to just show your true self and, and and be authentic.
0: You mentioned that you were able to talk to your wife about your own mental health issues. The research revealed that half of young adults find it difficult to talk to someone. What advice would you give to those who are perhaps struggling to open up?
2: I think it's just it's, it's talking to someone, you know, who, who you're close to, who you can trust and you can feel like. Will listen to what you say and not cast any judgment and just be a listening ear um it's very important that you just try and take that first step um because I think that once you do that some for me it felt like you know a weight came off my shoulders because even though you know like I said it was my wife I'm very close to her um it took a lot to be able to make that step so if you are able to do that um I think that's just a, a push in the right direction and then you're if, if needed you know you can there's many different resources which um, Alex can obviously touch on, but yeah, uh, the work that they do at Mind is, is really great in order and helping people to um talk in the first place.
0: Yeah. Now, Alex, as a mental health charity, how is Mind working to support young adults in this area?
1: I mean, it's an interesting point that Mark just meant there about about opening up and, and talking about his own lived experience. And actually it, it's not just on on us experiencing um mental health problems to to try and help ourselves we can help each other and if you go onto the mind website there's all sorts of information and resources to support people in terms of understanding where they're at and what uh, resources and help is out there but i just i just reflecting on what mark said there there are ways that you can help someone to talk about their mental health whether that's as a parent uh, or as a friend um um and if you go on our website you'll find some top tips I, i'd like to just share a couple right now if that's okay Men- talking about mental health can be really tough it can be tough for, for for both parties but there are ways to make it easier um try and for instance have a conversation where you're not speaking to each other face to face you're doing an activity together and it might be you know as we're talking about music it might be writing some lyrics together or listening to music together it takes the pressure off in terms of having to talk directly to the issue and you can you can just check in with someone in that space in a less kind of formal way um ask twice if someone's okay we often get asked how you're doing and we immediately as a kind of involuntary reflex just say yeah fine absolutely great and actually we're far from great if you ask twice take a beat take a pause I know, but know, how are you you create permission, you allow someone, if they want to, to share more, something more profound, more deep, if they're in that place. So there are ways that we can support ourselves, of course, and there are ways we can support others to begin those conversations
0: around what we're, where we're at and, and how we're feeling. Some very useful tips there. Now, it feels as though we've come a long way with mental health, but what are some of the common misconceptions that still exist that you encounter in your work? the stigma is still
1: profound. We feel like the conversation has moved on and it has, there has been huge progress in terms of the awareness that we have about our own mental health and the mental health of others, but there is still stigma. There is still fear about talking about mental health. There's fear of judgment. There's still profound stigma around serious mental illnesses like uh, schizophrenia or bipolar, and even talking around anxiety or depression, where there has been real progress, people understandably still feel Um, that there are taboos about talking about it Um, for example this survey half of the of the young people we spoke to were still uncomfortable to talk about their mental health but we know that if you make that step if you actually vocalize talk about where you're at how you're feeling you are then on a journey to managing your mental health and getting support so it, it is so powerful so yes huge progress but but the idea that we are all completely au fait and comfortable about talking mental health now, just not true. There is still significant stigma. And that's why when someone like Marx does this track, Day by or talks about his own lived experience, it breaks down those walls. We know the research tells us Um, uh, that when someone in the public eye like Mark talks about his own lived experience, others will, one in five, will then themselves have a mental health conversation talking about their own mental health. So this track and what Mark's doing will touch people's lives. There's no doubt about that.
0: That's great. Alex, Mark, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. If you're struggling with your mental health or are supporting someone who is and would like to find out more information and advice, visit mind.org.uk. That's mind.org.uk. We'll post the link on Twitter at SundayReview107 and on Facebook.com forward slash SundayReview107. Carers Support West Sussex is a local charity who help friends and family acting as carers. They offer information, guidance and practical support to the army of unpaid carers across the county and the south-east. To tell us more, I'm joined by their CEO, Sonia Mangan. Sonia, welcome to the show. Can you start by telling us a bit more about who carers support West Sussex are and what you do?
3: Well, we are a local charity who supports unpaid carers. And unpaid carers, as you say, Tim, are family friend carers. They are carers who give more than one what would expect from a spousal relationship, a sibling relationship, a parent relationship, or friend or neighbour. And they do that because the person who they're caring for is living with some kind of disability or condition or disease that in some way impacts their life. And we as a charity provide support in the form of information, advice, practical support, grants, to make life a little bit easier for those people.
0: So, what are some of the common challenges then that carers face, and how does your organisation help overcome them?
3: You know, we operate across this glorious county, which is West Sussex, and we've just had the census. And uh, the statistics show that there are more than 72,000 unpaid carers in this county. And we have registered with us about 31,500. So that's about half of the people who are unpaid carers in this county. And top issues at the moment, you won't be surprised, Tim, to hear cost of living, Can you imagine if you've got to have the heating on all day because of your care for condition or you need to plug in a wheelchair or an electric hoist um, or even you've had to give up work in order to be able to continue to support that crisis that we're all experiencing in one way or another is something that is even more you know amplified for those people who are providing care for uh, somebody else so cost of living is one of the biggest issues and wonderfully in the last year we've been able to give out more than 1.3 million in hardship and well-being grants to carers in this county which is frankly staggering um but It's still not quite enough, and so we help people with um, uh, accessing the benefits that they're entitled to, Um, and we help people to navigate some of the things that maybe uh, will make life a little bit easier financially. So that is definitely, without doubt, number one issue, and if you'd have asked me last year, I wouldn't have said that. I would have said what the second issue is which is emotional and physical stress. You know, carers would say that caring is both tough and wonderful. Some carers think it's a joy. It's an absolute gift to be able to care for somebody else. And some find it really, really, really difficult and it impacts their everyday life. And then there are some people that even during a day, they can swing from one end to the other and that creates physical stress and emotional stress which for some people can mean they're at risk of falling to the knees in one way or another and then the third issue is access to services as we all experience some of the difficulties that are happening for health and social care colleagues uh, in this county and beyond you can imagine how difficult that is for somebody who is a carer can i go to hospital what happens if i go to a and e if i ring for an ambulance will it come if i need um an, an assessment for my cared for maybe to try and get a diagnosis of dementia how long will that take Uh, If they need an operation and surgery, how long will that be and will it actually happen? All of those things are creating extra pressure for those people who are carers at the moment.
0: You mentioned there about helping people get access to benefits and services. Clearly, you can't do this alone. How do you work with other organisations and community groups to, I guess, bring together everything that carers need?
3: You know, I think we're really blessed in this county, you know, for the amount of uh, community and voluntary organizations that we have, um, uh, you know, here, all these people, these local people uh, that are stepping forward to support others. It's staggering, really and uh just in the uh just in the last quarter we have been working with more than 500 organizations so that could range from department of work and pensions the council health colleagues through to uh working with local food banks um and so you're absolutely right tim we work uh, uh with all those organizations and what we do is We, first of all, work with the carer themselves to find out what's going to work for them, what would be the most helpful to them, because we're there to support what their needs are. Uh, And then we spend time working out what is available in, uh, in the local area or across the county, or even from national colleagues like the DWP. So, uh, yeah, we are a gateway, uh, for, uh, those other organizations for, um, for carers.
0: It sounds as though you're doing some absolutely fantastic work. What sort of impact would you say it's had on the lives of caregivers over the years?
3: Oh, I think, you know, there is, I mean, if I go back to that uh, 1.3 million, and if I take your mind back to thinking about the fact that, you know, maybe, uh, I'm struggling to pay to be able to plug in the electric wheelchair that I need for my daughter. Uh, if you think about the amount of uh, uh, help that even uh, getting uh, something like a three hundred or a five hundred pound grant to somebody makes, the difference that that makes, and then supporting that carer, that mother to meet up with other mothers and fathers and, and siblings who are in similar kind of circumstances to them and at least just share those experiences. That makes a huge difference. It makes a massive difference. You know, uh, it's often one of those circumstances where people call us as a charity and they say, "I'm really struggling. Mum's in hospital. I don't know what to do." They're saying uh, that maybe she needs to go into a care home. Can you help? And um, on, on our team of staff and volunteers what they do is they say absolutely we can help but first of all let's talk about how you you are doing what's going on for you and how can we support you because for us it's the carer that's the priority and there are very few circumstances Tim where you actually sort of have that where you are the priority um and 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 it's it's you know Putting your hand on somebody's shoulder and reminding them that they matter is is actually really important. We have got at the moment circumstances where certainly carers uh, who are uh, giving up work are finding life really, really hard and really tough. And sometimes it's not just about financial, it's about being able to continue to do some social things, it's being able to, you know, still uh, go to the gym, if you feel like that's what you need to do, Um, or still being able to go to an art class, still being able to live In the way in which you uh, want to live. And so what we try to do is we try to give people that opportunity to think about what's going to work best for themselves to enable them to uh, enjoy life better. So I think it's a huge amount of impact. And, you know, Our our numbers are significant, Tim, when I talk about 31,500, that's a big number, Um, but behind every one of uh, those numbers, there is a story, and uh, uh, and it's a story uh, which uh, I uh, would consider uh, that together with carers themselves, our staff and volunteer team have done amazing work to make a difference.
0: You've talked a lot about the support that you offer others. What support do you need as an organization?
3: Oh well, thanks for that Tim it's a really' it's a it's a really kind question. and what I would say first of all uh, to listeners is that three out of five of us at some point in our lives will become a carer, and so that means that if you're not yourself, you absolutely know somebody who is. So the first thing that you can do for us is to make sure that you consider whether there is somebody that you know who could actually benefit from the support of a charity like ours. And in a moment, we're going to give you those contact details. But I just want you to think about that for a moment. The second thing that you can do for us, of course, is volunteer all those wonderful organisations that are available for us in West Sussex to give our time freely, we also need uh, people to volunteer with us. So you could become a volunteer for Carer Support West Sussex. Maybe you're a carer yourself, maybe you were a carer and want to give back in some way. And so that is one of the things that you can do. And the third thing that you can do for us is Donate. It doesn't have to be an awful lot. Uh, At the moment, we've got uh, a campaign which is called Full-Time Carer, Part-Time Child. I've given you an idea about who a carer is. It could be a parent, it could be a sibling, but it also could be a son or daughter. And we're talking about children uh, from uh, the age of uh, six uh, through to 16, who could be caring, doing more than what one would expect your son or daughter to do for you. And so we have a specific campaign at the moment, which people will see when they go onto our website, which is about giving children a second chance at childhood um, and supporting us in some way to be able to do that.
0: Fantastic. So, if somebody does want to get in touch, either to volunteer, donate, or they need to get some help from you, what's the best way to do that?
3: So, we have a response line for those people that may be uh, better at just ringing and speaking to somebody. So, that is 0300 028 8888. And we have a website which is carersupport.org.uk. And also we have the usual uh, social media. So you'll be able to find us on Facebook. You'll be able to find us on Twitter and Instagram. Please contact us.
0: That's great, Sonia. Thanks so much for your time today and for sharing more with us about what your organisation does. Thank you. If you'd like to get in touch with Carer's Support West Sussex, you can call them on 0300 028 8888. That's 0300 028 8888. Or you can visit carersupport.org.uk. That's carersupport.org.uk. We'll post all the details on Twitter at SundayReview107 and on facebook.com forward slash SundayReview107. East Grinstead Community Bonfire was formed last May with the aim of bringing the traditions of Sussex Bonfire to our town. Their chairman, Graham Jones, joins me now to tell us more about the aim of hosting a bonfire event in East Grinstead this year and some of the other activities they have planned. Graham, welcome to the show. Can you start by telling us a bit more about the Bonfire Society and why you decided to set the group up?
4: The history of East Scrincy's community bonfire stretches back way before COVID. Um, there was a gentleman Paul, called Paul Cliff, uh, that was a member of Southover Bonfire Society down in Lewis, and he was very keen on getting one together here in East Scrincy. Um, had lots of meetings with him, and we decided that we would try and get one going. Unfortunately, just after COVID, he passed away. Um, so we decided a small group of us to go forward and create East Squinsted Bonfire Society, as we thought it would be, but the town council would like us to call East the Community Bonfire, which is no problem at all. Um, we had lots of preparatory meetings stretching back over the last couple of years, both with our town council and mid-Sussex district council on how we go about this. Um, and once we'd done that, we decided to launch last May at the May Fair. There were three of us. There was John Belsey, the councillor, Sarah Collier and myself, all dressed up in uh, what we call our guernseys, which are our smuggler outfits. And we were just doing some fundraising and letting people know about what we were doing.
0: Fantastic. Now, earlier on, we mentioned about Sussex bonfire traditions. For those who are unfamiliar, can you explain a bit about what they are?
4: well sussex bonfire and I'm, I'm no expert on this has been going for hundreds of years um it was to do with religious persecution uh with the protestants and the catholics uh way back in the bonfire days and guy fawkes uh but we're not what we're not doing that here in east Greenstead as such we're um an open group we're a community group and we're free for all but the um The history goes back many years, Um, as I said, uh, there's a lot of it going around Lewis, as you're well aware of. Lewis has the mother of all bonfires on November the 5th every year. They have about six or seven bonfire societies just in the town. Um, The idea of Sussex Bonfire is to celebrate uh, our freedoms and also to raise money for uh, local charities. Which is something that we will be continue to do here in East Grinstead.
0: And what exactly are you hoping to achieve this year, then?
4: This is the big reveal. We've been keeping this under wraps now for a good six months, as we had a lot of paperwork to do. But we can now announce that on Saturday, the 21st of October, we will be having a torchlit procession through the centre of East Grinstead, through East Court, fireworks, and a bonfire. The procession we open to local organisations, musicians that wish to take part. Um, The only uh, proviso on that is that they will have to have liability insurance. We will also be inviting fellow Bonfire Societies from around Sussex to join us. Um, And the reason we ask them to join us is that we go to to, uh, their meetings called Outmeets where we process with them smugglers' colours or in what we call pioneer costumes. Each society has their own uh, costumes for their pioneers. Uh, A few examples of these, they may be the Victorian era, era, pirates, buccaneers, tunic monks, Aztecs, cowboys and Indians and many more. And the members of these societies, they really spend a lot of money Uh, to put on some fantastic costumes and then parade with or process with torches through towns throughout Sussex. I say the event is free for all, but there will be bucket collections on the evening, uh, on the way in, on the way out, uh, which will be distributed to local charities and uh, to help us fund the 2024 event. We are hoping that this will become an annual event. And a a plea to those tree surgeons and any businesses that might have wood to burn, Um, we will need some supplies for our bonfire at Court on the Saturday. If they want to contact us, we can tell you what our requirements are.
0: Organising an event like this must be quite an undertaking. What support do you need from the local community?
4: Well, what we need from the community, and we're very lucky to have one major sponsor on board, uh, Clutton's estate agents, Uh, we do need another major sponsor. um, And that major sponsor will get access to the East Court Terrace, uh, and banners in the the town town center and at the fire site. And um, it helps promote the local businesses. It's a community bonfire, is all about the east grinstead community we want to support uh, the businesses in east grinstead so all the vendors that we may invite into the event will be local vendors we don't want people coming from outside and taking the money away from the town we want to keep it in the town Um, the charities that we will choose and we'll be inviting uh charities to be nominated Uh, All local charities, uh, not the big nationals, that will spend the money that we give them in our local community. Uh, Bonfire societies throughout Sussex, they raise money for charity by collection buckets on the night, and then that goes to, as I said, local charities. Last year, Sussex Bonfire raised over £64,000 for charities in Sussex.
0: In addition to sponsorship, as you've mentioned, what sort of fundraising events have you got coming up?
4: Well, we've, we've, we've done a lot of fundraising in the last year. Um, it's not just fundraising that we've had. We've had a lot of grant help. The town council have very generously given us an annual grant. Um Clapton's are providing some sponsorship, and we've done a lot of fundraising. I must mention the Crown pub in East Grinstead. Um, there are there are headquarters, and we meet there. Every month, but we have a weekly meat raffle in there that's raised us a lot of money. Uh, the meat comes from Alan Martin Meat down in uh, Ashurst Wood. We have had a lot of quiz nights, uh, bingo nights. Uh, we've participated in the May Fair, uh, the Donkey Derby, the Rotary Club, uh, Christmas Collections. So we're out and about doing things most months. Um, we also have a GoFund uh, request page as well and if people would like to give us a little bit of money uh, through go funding that would be really useful um, to give your uh, listeners an idea um to put an event on like this and it's a free event is costing between eight and ten thousand pounds we're probably about five thousand pounds at the moment um so we've still got a fair bit of way to go um, but every if every member of East Quinstead gave us just one pound, uh, we'd easily reach our target and be able to put on a really spectacular show for the town. So we really need the town to get behind us. We need the businesses to get behind us. We will be asking uh, visiting local businesses in the next couple of weeks to ask them if they can put some posters up for us for our go funding and also asking them if they would be willing to put an advert in our programme. So anything the local businesses can do to assist us, we'd be uh, very grateful for them to help us out on this.
0: And in addition to fundraising, if people want to get more involved in the group, what sort of ways can they help out?
4: We'd love new members. Uh, We started off, as I said earlier, with three members. Um, First meeting, we ended up with 18. Uh, We're now up to about 40 members. Um, ideally, before October this year, we would like to double that and have about 80 members. The members can be, well, our youngest member is about 18 months old, and our oldest is uh, in 70s. Bonfire is for everybody in the community. Young, old, doesn't really matter. If you want to join and have some fun, um, come and join us. Uh, there's all sorts of activities that you can get involved with. Uh, once you're a member, we get invited to out-meet to other societies where we process with those. Last year, we went to Eastbourne, Hailsham, and Little Hampton. Uh, great fun nights out, big bonfires, big fireworks. And because you're a bonfire society, you get to stand right at the front. Membership forms, you, you can uh, email us and we can send you one. Uh, it's very reasonably priced. Uh, we charge £12 for adults £6 for 16 to 17 year olds and it's free for under 16 Um, so you can email us at egcbonfire at gmail.com or you can message us on Facebook Uh, we have a Facebook page community bonfire and then we can forward a membership form to you you can see us at the Mayfair Um, we'll be there in force we've got a tombola on we've got a raffle, and obviously we'll be there, inviting people to come and join us. Uh, You won't be able to miss us. We're gonna have some brand new advertising bags, and we will be the guys dressed up in smuggler uniforms. Um, Each society has a different uniform. Ours is a rusty orange and forest green stripes. People have just seen them around in town already. Uh, We've been around for a year now. So you won't be able to miss
0: this. Fantastic. Well, it sounds like you've got lots to do, but some great fun events planned to get you there. Graham, thanks for joining us today and telling us more about the East Grinstead Community Bonfire. Thanks for your time. For more information about upcoming events, to donate, or to find out how you can get involved and help further, visit facebook.com forward slash East Grinstead Community Bonfire. That's facebook.com forward slash east grinstead community bonfire. Or you can email them on bonfire at gmail.com. That's bonfire at gmail.com. We'll post links for both on Twitter at Sunday Review 107 and on facebook.com forward slash Sunday Review 107. On his afternoon show on Friday, Norman Wong found out how postponing, fixing, servicing or checking our household appliances could be costing us more money in the long run. He spoke to Rob Denham from the Gas Safe Register and financial advisor Emmanuel Asuko.
5: The research done by the Gas Safe Register show that, you know, number one, over 25% of people are, are looking at not actually doing anything right now and putting it off for the future. Which means that what starts as a little drip or a little leak will then keep building up and building up. And also we have to remember that while we're not fixing it, these appliances are not getting better. They're getting worse. And so there is wastage. They're not as efficient, which is costing us money over that time. And, you know, like, like you said, almost £1,900 for the average average house owner. That is a lot of money, especially at a time like now, when a lot of these things can be avoided if they are regularly serviced so it's really important that people allocate and put money away to service you know these household appliances i think you're absolutely right
6: did the research identify which repairs are either not being undertaken or a make do and mend approach to home maintenance issues
5: yeah so the research showed quite a few different areas you know the guttering the roof the boiler taps the toilet these are all small things within the household that people are putting off and also the research shows the cost of these things as well so it can really build up the average boiler to service is around 100 pounds if you service it if you call it out an emergency it could be 400 pounds and then if it's if the boiler is completely gone that's thousands of pounds so it's really important that actually as much as i understand people's fear and people's anxiety and people's almost wanting to just focus on today we really need to plan for the future because if not it could end up costing you a lot more down the road
6: So Rob, there's real evidence then that homeowners are likely to try and find a makeshift solution to home maintenance issues.
7: Absolutely, yeah. So our research actually showed that almost half, 45% of all homeowners are more likely to try and find a makeshift solution to home maintenance issues. I'm possibly guilty of this as well, out of sight, out of mind, isn't it? So... I can't see it. It's not a problem putting things off until tomorrow. But of course, as as Emmanuel was saying there, this just builds to a bigger, more costly problem further down the line.
6: Surely a regular service gas boiler working efficiently will help reduce running costs and also reduce the risk of gas leaks and carbon monoxide poisoning.
7: Absolutely. So your gas boiler... We rely on them so much to give us our heating and hot water and i think we just take it for granted that when we get up in the morning the house is nice and warm and it's comfortable but it's a complex piece of equipment just like a car is and you get that serviced every year so in the same way you need to get your gas appliance serviced so you've got full confidence that it's safe so there's no carbon monoxide for example and that it is working as efficiently as it can do. It's not costing you more money than it needs to to heat your property.
6: Yeah, I think the key word there is efficiency, isn't it? Because that relates to pounds as it well as a heat does. output.
7: It certainly does. And we're all sort of feeling the pinch cost of living. So to have confidence to know that your boiler is working as efficiently as it can do will give you that peace of mind as well. You're not spending more money on your gas bill than you need to to heat your house. And of course, you can engage with your engineer then to talk about what other measures you can adopt to improve the efficiency of your heating system and your boiler.
6: And having an unqualified personnel tackling jobs around the house invalidate your home insurance or warranties?
7: It certainly can do. And from a gas point of view, anybody that works on your gas appliance or your cooker, your fire, must be gas safe registered and they must hold the qualification. So if they're working on cookers, they hold the qualification in cookers or boilers. Simplest way to find a gas safe registered engineer is to visit our website, www.gassaferegistered.co.uk, or call our telephone number. Uh, our customer service team will be able to help you as well on 0800 408 5500
6: Now, there used to be something called Corgi registered. Is that the same thing or, was it, or are we talking two different things?
7: We hold the register on behalf of the Health and Safety Executive in 2009. The name for the register moved from Corgi to Gas Safe Register. So it does exactly what it says on the side of the tin. It's a register of Gas Safe Registered Engineers.
6: All right. Thanks for that clarification. Is there also a time of year or a season when repairers and service technicians are more busy than others? Because I, I would have thought if you wait till the winter months when you're reliant on that heating, it could be more difficult to get that engineer, that technician to come out and visit you.
7: Now is the perfect time. So we're just coming out of the heating system. Although it's turned a bit cold today, I put an extra jumper on. We're coming out heating season and therefore engineers tend to be a little bit quieter in the spring months. And now's a great time to get your appliance checked so that you've got full confidence peace of mind so when you need to rely on it again to give you heating and hot water it's going to be there ready for you
6: thank you emmanuel do you have any top tips to help us save money and keep our homes maintained and household appliances in tip-top condition
7: yes
5: i've got a few tips i think we've seen some research on the thing about more and more people are moving from fresh food to frozen food and and again that's because it lasts longer and and it's less wasted so that's something that a lot of us should be thinking about also actually just planning our meals i think a lot of the time we, we think that oh i know what i bought last week i'll just go and buy that again without actually thinking what meals am i going to have this week Oh, am i going to be home? how many times am i going to be home in the evening am i going to be out and actually plan your meals and buy your food according to the actual meals that you're going to have that week that can Again, reduce wastage and save money. I think it's re- obviously it's really important. We experienced it, you know, having our our, our boiler serviced. so we recently when we when we bought this house, we had an old boiler and you know it was taken we had to have it at a really high heat in order to heat the house and have it on for a long time. since we've been able to get it serviced now we we have have it on a much lower heat and for a lot less time so again these are really really key things that you can do also switching things off from standby you know we have a lot of things electrical appliances throughout the house i got four kids there's a lot of appliances and just leaving them on we are literally paying for a light that when <laughs> just to have a light on and i know sometimes you feel like oh i just want to come downstairs and press the remote and the tv comes on but these days appliances don't take that long to switch on it's a few seconds so it's really to save that time is actually costing us a lot of money so it's better to actually you know switch everything off by the wall make sure everything is switched off and then and then you know switch it on as and when you need to it
0: emmanuel asuko and rob denham talking there to norman wong for more information on how cash could be leaking out of your home, visit gassaferegister.co.uk. That's gassaferegister.co.uk, or you can call 0800 408 5500. That's 0800 408 5500. We'll post all the details on Twitter at SundayReview107 and on Facebook.com/slash SundayReview107. On his mid-morning show this week, Paul Tolmey spoke to Amy Batchelor from Millview Care Home in East Grinstead about a stroke awareness event taking place this coming Wednesday.
8: We're really looking forward to welcoming um, Angela Cox, who is a support worker from the Stroke Association. Um, she's going to be joining us to sort of share insights on recognising the signs of a stroke and how to care for a loved one through their recovery. And... Um, There'll be an opportunity, obviously, to ask her questions as well and share any personal experiences. So, obviously, the the recovery time from a stroke is a, a long process, and sometimes it's really important um, to just be able to have a conversation with somebody that may have experienced it or has gone through it themselves. Um Sort of, I know obviously this is about the, the stroke awareness event, but we do do sort of like a carer support group on, on the side of this as well. Mm. Um, so again, it's that time for people to come in and, and have a chat and a conversation with other people and share their experiences and share best practices and, and learn from each other.
9: That, that's the other important thing as well it's not just the impact on the patient it's the impact on the family and their loved ones absolutely and, and knowing where to take where to go next because it's such a it's such a devastating thing to happen that you 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 need that you need that support there because you don't know where absolutely. you don't know what where to go or where, where to turn to so that's why this is no. that's why events like these are so important
8: yeah and that's what angela would do you know if if someone is going currently going through it or um, She'll be able to sort of navigate them to the the right people that they can get support from, but also um, people that may come along may of sort of towards the end of the journey um, of recovery, whereas some people may be at the beginning. So it's about those people being able to share their experiences as well.
9: Yeah, definitely. And um, so tell us how people can uh, come along to the event if they are if they'd like to.
8: So they can um, pop me an email, um, there's lots of advertising on obviously our Facebook page and what East Grinstead, did, etc. Um, or they can give the home a call. Um, so the direct number into Millview is 01342 337220. So we can get you
9: booked in. Yeah, and uh, it's, it's free to attend, but, people, but you'd rather people contacted you to let you know that they're coming.
8: Yeah, if possible, just because, obviously, numbers can be limited. Mm. Um, We use our cinema in the home for the event, so it's a a nice, large room with comfy chairs. We put on coffee and uh, refreshments for you all um, and obviously there is also an opportunity for you to take a closer look at Millview as well so to have a tour and meet some of the staff and the residents that obviously are living here. Millview is a purpose-built care home and uh, we've been open since 2012 so we're going into our 11th year. Um, we offer residential care, uh, nursing care and care for those that are living with dementia as well. Mm. Um, we have a, a total of 70 rooms, um, and we are what's called a dual registered home, um, which basically means that if someone comes in um, and then their needs deteriorate later on in, in life, that we'd be able to continue hopefully to meet their needs here, and they wouldn't have to sort of move on. We have a, an activity program that's on um, a minimum of six days a week, ranging from lots of sort of outside entertainers that coming in. Uh, musicians. We have a minibus. We do lots of outings down to the coast and, and various other places um, of residents' interests as well.
9: Mm. It's it's the stimulation as well, isn't it, to, to, to keep them at, keep their brain and everything else active.
8: Absolutely, it's vital. Yeah.
9: Um,
8: so we're we're really lucky here with our our team that do the activity. They're actually called the Lifestyle Team. Um, They're a team of three, um, That not only do they do sort of the larger group activities, but they also do a lot of one-to-one time uh, with people as well that, Mm. that, you know, are unable to sort of come out of their rooms for various reasons and what have you. In my sort of nine years of working here, people that, especially during COVID, that weren't able to sort of leave their home, they didn't have family visiting and what have you, and seeing them come in, and even just by going to the dining room for their meals, you know, twice or three times a day... Having that social interaction um, and the the stimulation it gives them is is lovely to see. Mm.
9: And it, it dispels the myth as well, doesn't it? That if you're going to go into a care home, you're just going to sit in a room and, and nothing's going to happen.
8: And That is what people's perception is, and that's why we have an open door policy here and invite people to you know come in and have a look around. Mm. You don't have to pre-book an appointment. Um, sometimes it, it, I encourage people to come, you know, randomly because then because otherwise people can sometimes say things are put on or, you know, it's not a true reflection of what happens. Yeah. Um, So absolutely, you know, um, we have lots of open days and and things where people can just turn up and be shown around the home.
9: Because that's important as well, isn't it? That initial kind of visit, just to have a look around, check that you're happy and and that it caters to the needs of your loved one.
8: Absolutely, because every care home is different. Yeah. um, But also it's... I always say to people when they're sort of in the initial stages of looking into care, Mm. it's much better for you to be able to do it when you're not being pressurised to do it.
9: So, if somebody obviously is
8: unwell in hospital and they need to go into a care environment, you're sort of being pressured to find a home sort of quickly. Whereas, if you start the process a lot sooner and you've got an idea in the back of your head, you know, a couple of homes that you like, at least if and when the time was to come, you've already visited and you've already done that process.
9: And it's not something that can be rushed. There's as financial implications. There's everything else. You know, their property needs to be sorted out. There's so much to think about.
8: Absolutely, and that, and I can help with that as well, and sort of guide you. And and again, that's that's sort of my role within the home. Um, but as as I say, every care home is different, and um, they all offer different things. And people's preferences are different as well of what they want from a care home. Um, and it, it's a big responsibility, especially if someone hasn't got the capacity to make a decision, you're making that decision on their behalf. So, um, and that's obviously what my role is, to, is to support you while you're on that journey.
9: Because mm. it's, a, it's, a, it's a very difficult time, because obviously you're concerned about the health of your loved one, but you need to, but on the, on the flip side, you need to, Get this sorted out but you're there to support them aid them help them you, you you've obviously you, you obviously helped people through the process before so you're more than expert to help them out then
8: absolutely and something else that um care have created um that we give out in our brochure packs is a a guide called Choosing a Care Home, mm. um, and it it's got lots of things in there to think about when you are visiting care homes and questions to ask. And it's it's simple things like is it on a bus route? You know, yeah. if if the car broke down and I couldn't and needed to visit, could I still get there? Um, and they're the sort of things that you may not think of asking, but they're really important. Yeah. Sometimes you know families come in two, three times to have a look around. Um, If they can, I always say to them, you know, to bring the person they're looking to care care for to maybe come in for lunch or to join in with an activity. Or we have got a coffee shop, so they can come in and and have a cup of tea or coffee and a piece of cake and just, you know, take in the surroundings and what's around them and get them familiar. Um, We do also offer sort of short stays, so respite care as well. So if, you know, a loved one's going on holiday... Um, you know, they can come on holiday too, for a holiday at Millview, to have a break and get some TLC. So, mm. they, you know, there's lots of different options.
0: Amy Batchelor talking there to Paul Tolney earlier this week. The Stroke Awareness event is this Wednesday, the 26th of April, from 10.30am at the Millview Care Home in East Grinstead. To book a place, call 01342 33 That's 01342 Double three seven two two zero, or you can email Amy. at kuk.com. That's Amy. Bachelor spelt B A T C H E L O R at kuk.com We'll post all the details on Twitter at Sunday Review One Oh Seven and on Facebook.com forward slash Sunday Review One Oh Seven. The UK's number one jive and swing band, the Jive Aces, were live on stage at the Checker Mead on Friday night. Earlier in the week, Norman Wong caught up with the band on his afternoon show and spoke to Ian Clarkson about their style of music and influences.
10: For those who don't really know Jive, it's sort of like everything from uh, swing to rock and roll and, and in between, and uh, it's that area chronologically and and in real life where um, jazz meets rock and roll, I guess. It sounds like a wonderful
6: evening. Roots, as they say roots? in America, roots yeah. music. Well, I'm yeah. heavily into roots music, I would say. Lovely. Lovely. What started your love for Swing? Gosh, what
10: started our love Well, Well, uh, in some ways, in some ways, it's a... Uh, it's, uh, you were just talking about roots. In some ways, um, we basically, sort of, when we were all 13, which wasn't that long ago...
6: Right. Uh, last, last year, I think. Yeah,
10: yeah exactly. We were into you know, Elvis and stuff like that, particularly Elvis. And actually seeing the Elvis movie last year reminded us of this once more. Was, but we were into Elvis and in those days you had albums and they had sleeve notes. And so you'd listen to Elvis and then you'd read on the back that he was influenced by, uh, you know, uh, Arthur Big Boy cried up who did That's all Right Mama or various other people. And we started working our way backwards. We'd go to a, a record shop back in the day when you had record shops. And we'd go through and we'd find all these old records and we'd find blues and swing and jazz and we sort of worked our way back and read up on it. And then we uh, used to get all these old videos from America uh, of oh, everyone from, well, Elvis, obviously, and all the rock and roll people, but all the way back to Cad Calloway and Louis Jordan and all these jazz people, Fats, Fats Waller and stuff. Uh, all on, you used to get these, you know, black and white videos that you could uh, only get in America and get. Yeah, swapped over into English format at the time, and we'd stay up all night watching them. Wow! So we sort of got to learn. We taught ourselves, I guess. now
6: <laughs> you've just returned from the tour in the US.
10: Yes. How so, did that go down? Fantastic, fantastic. Uh, we've been going there for a few years now, and uh, it's a bit like taking Coles to Newcastle because obviously we, we're taking their music back to them. <laughs> but uh, a lot, not that many people really do it in the same way, and I think English people sort of listen to music and go oh that's fantastic and we, we 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 pick a pick a style and go we're gonna do that whereas in america they just carry on
6: yeah yeah yes, you
10: yeah you know well and we go no you peaked you've peaked oh no you peaked again like you know we won that bit uh but they love it they they come up and they go you guys sound like louis prima and um they've actually seen louis prima or yeah. they've seen sinatra or whatever so uh it's a great compliment you know and uh, this was probably the best tour we've uh, ever done there. Actually, um, everything opened up again, and everyone wanted to go out again. Yeah, of course. So yeah, yeah it was so great. How many cities Can you remember? Was it was you a know whirlwind. Uh, it was quite well. 14. We were there. We were there a month. And uh, wow. how many cities? Si- Fourteen, 14, 14, 14, 14, 14 cities. Is it? Yeah. it seems up like more than that. But, uh, yeah. Well, we, we arrived really quickly. We arrived. We did. Uh, we arrived in New York, and we did Long Island, New York, uh, Richmond, Virginia. Um, Washington, D.C., North Carolina. Then we went over to Florida and went around a few places in Florida, back to North Carolina, flew to, to L.A. Uh, where it was raining when we flew into L.A., oddly enough. Uh, and then we did Palm Springs, Ventura. Um, then we went to uh, Arizona and did uh, Tucson, Arizona, Phoenix, Arizona, back to Ventura, California, um, Vegas. Uh, and then we went back to L.A., did a couple more gigs in um La Bel Air. We did Herb Alberts oh. uh, for the first time. We did a Herb Alberts uh, vibrato club in uh, Bel Air, which is awfully posh and lovely club. Uh, and then we recorded. We finished an album which we started in 2019, and uh, obviously couldn't get back to finish it. Oh, no, no, <laughs> the Czech Is that like a, a homecoming then? Is it? Yeah, yeah. Because we're we're, uh, we're all live relatively local. We have our our um, rehearsal studio here, which is where we did our live stream all through the Pando. Um, so, it, yeah, it's pretty much our... Well, it's, it's the band's hometown. Yeah. So it's like from Hollywood to home, yeah.
5: <laughs> so
6: from Hollywood to <laughs> East Clinton, folks. So do you find a difference in the US audiences compared to the UK audiences?
10: Uh, they say awesome more,
6: yeah? <laughs>
10: you what? guys are awesome! Do, no, they, no, no, like, yeah. do they listen more, though? That's. Um, It depends, um, really, on the type of audience as well, though,
6: really. Um, and but the, the reason I ask that is because I, I or we wife and I go to the U.S. twice a year at least to go and watch live music. And what we do find with the American audi- audiences is they tend to talk through the shows. Oh, okay. not, not our oh, dear of course, but there's always a couple that will do it and it can be quite irritating. But as you go to a U.K. show, you know, you can hear a pin drop. And I just wondered if it was the same for you guys with your style of music.
10: Uh, not really nice difference in talking...
6: It depends yes. on the type of venue. Yeah, yeah,
10: it depends on yeah. the type of venue. We do Because we, we do a lot of theatres. theatres. Um, when it's theatres, they're pretty similar to English ones. Yeah. Um, except, like I said, they, they're a bit louder, like to, quicker. They're louder quicker. The audience always ends up jumping around and having fun at the end, but English audience oft, often uh, take a couple of songs to warm up, whereas the Americans are already going, oh, they, they do that thing where, um, you know, like where, where you start a song in America... And if they recognise the song, they start applauding. Yeah, and like yeah, the Vegas. Was, oh, this was written by you know Bill Smith from that small town in Missouri. Oh, I've
6: been there. Yes. Yeah,
10: yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, you yeah, you yeah, yeah. Or you just start and you go, "This is a little song about love," and you go, "L is mm-hmm. for the way." And then, by then they, and they're all looking at each other, going, "I know this one," <laughs> and uh, all that sort of thing, which we don't see so much in England. But um, oh, other than that, and also we do we did some jazz clubs and that sort of, sort of cabaret club. Uh, very, very What well, well, I like, like there is um, they really appreciate the music and the entertainment um, because, obviously, it's their music and it's their tradition. And so they really understand it. So it, it's not like they prefer it or anything like that, but it's just um, they really know it, or often the audience really knows it, whereas here they really love it. But sometimes they come up and, they, like I said, they've seen the artist who did the original song and stuff like that and um, all this sort of thing. So that's interesting. But um, a lot of the gigs we did also, well, That meant not that many, but we also sw- do swing dance, a few swing dances. Um, there they just dance to everything. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, but in general, really, just the feedback afterwards is was one of the best for any tour and fantastic, and we ended up um, hanging out with a lot of people. And we also had, because we did a live stream all the way through the pandemic, and... Um, we didn't realise it, but we had a lot of fans over there. And when one guy, a couple, drove from... We were playing in Vegas. They drove from Idaho. Wow. Like, nine-hour drive to see us and then drive home again because they'd only ever heard us on our live stream on YouTube or whatever or Facebook. So they, they went all that way, yeah. Well, that, that's commitment there from fans, isn't it? Yeah. See if commitment or they should be committed. One or the other. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, they loved it. So luckily it wasn't a wasted trip for them.
6: <laughs> but uh, back here at home... You were the first live band to reach the final rounds of Britain's Got Talent. That's right, we were. Yes. Um, yeah, how absolutely. was that experience?
10: It was an experience. Uh, no, it was great. We were in. Uh, I was in. It was a while ago. It was in oh. 2012. Oh, um, you that? the Jubilee, yeah. And uh, we were beaten by a dog. We got through to the semi-finals, and uh, Simon loved the dog. So yeah, we we knew we knew we were. That was as far as we go in the semi-finals, and the dog was fantastic. It was a good dog. It's good to be, it was a Pudsy. Don't if anyone remembers that one, and uh, with the girl Ashley that, that looked after him, and uh, yeah, no, it was really good. We basically got, we were on there, and um, you get seen by so many people, and suddenly, you know. We were famous for two weeks. Uh, only two weeks. Yeah, something like that. Two, maybe three. Yeah. You know, well, yeah, yeah. Uh, we, uh, we, you, you, when you wore the yellow suits, because we wore the yellow suits on the show. We, we were doing a photo shoot in London, and uh, we were all sitting, having a coffee, and no one took any notes. Office, of and we put the yellow suits on, and everyone started going, "Oh, Bruno's got talent!" Mm. and yeah. <laughs> chasing after us and stuff. And uh, you know, you we went in a garage, and people would go. Uh, to pay for the petrol, and they go. Oh, I saw your X Factor. Okay. You got, Britain's In Got Talent. <laughs> okay. But uh, yeah, it was great and um, good experience, and uh, got, it gets seen by so many people. It's quite amazing. Yeah, you, I mean, it, like millions, and then it goes on YouTube and gets seen by more millions. Yeah, so, more so, millions.
6: Yeah. You mentioned a summertime swing. Will there be a summertime swing event this year? Yeah, yeah, we're doing it, it's, uh, and it's going to be big and big and bigger than ever.
10: Because uh, obviously we didn't do it for two or three years yeah. or whatever it was during the Pando, And then last year we did a slightly smaller version, but it was and it was sold out instantly. Um, so we're doing again. It's fifth of August, is that right? Fifth, Saturday, Saturday, the fifth of August, and uh, we've got a few special guests, but they're not knelt down yet. But we don't want to, so we don't want to mention. But um, some special, special, special ones this year. Um, and what's the time? Is it two o'clock? Yes, they're looking at each other. Grant <laughs> and Alex are Two o'clock. Two o'clock. What you're yeah, two o'clock. Two till eight. Two till seven. Yeah, it depends, when people it depends you see, because we always try and give it like a. We say, we used to say it's night at three, but everyone would arrive at twelve. <laughs> you see them all walking down with their like with with the uh, with their uh, blankets and picnics yeah. and stuff. So we sort of arbitrarily say, yeah, two o'clock till about seven, um, but people arrive earlier and then they. Uh, and they stay later. So, yeah, we, it depends on the day, really. Well, let's hope it's uh, great weathered on the day. Oh, I, 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 when we since we've been doing... To, hold on, touch something. Where's the wood? Well, touch some know, wood. No, no. Since we've been doing it on, in August, it's always actually been sunny, hasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So it's always been good. So, yeah, so um, everyone uh, yeah, make a note of that. Oh, yeah. early bird tickets are on sale now. Right? Oh, tickets are on sale now. We've sold some, haven't we? Early
6: bird. Oh, yeah.
10: early bird we've,
0: we've sold now. the early bird, some early bird tickets. Ian Clarkson talking there to Norman Wong. You can find out more about the Jive Aces and where else they're playing on their UK tour, as well as this year's summertime swing event, on the band's website at jiveaces.com. That's jiveaces.com. You can also listen back to the interview in full and the band playing live in our studio. Just visit the Listen Again page under the on-air menu on meridianfm.com. And that's it for the latest edition. We've got all the information on the features you've heard today on Twitter at SundayReview107 or on facebook.com forward slash SundayReview107. I'll be back on air next Sunday morning from 10am on 107 Meridian FM or on meridianfm.com or you can download the latest podcast. Until then, take care and have a great week ahead.